All right. Good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we'll try to get you out before the snow hits today, all right? But uh, because you dedicated this day to the Lord, there's no way he lets you get in a wreck on the way home, right? So that's not true. I have no idea what God's going to do, right? So, so that's a joke. That's very much so a joke, right? I have no idea. Uh, but we're looking forward uh, to some time together this day before we all get trapped inside again. Uh, today's going to be a good time in, in God's presence. We're uh, talking our third part of our 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting series, and so next week we'll officially end it. Uh, and I hope that you are encouraged during this time. Uh, if you don't have a face-to-face journal, uh, please go ahead and raise your hand. You can still have one of these. We're two, two weeks in, but take one, use it. So if this is your first time or you haven't grabbed one yet, we're, we're, we, we made this for you so that you could cultivate a relationship with God. So just go ahead and raise your hand, keep it high, uh, and Grace back there will give you one so that you can make the most of this time. I encourage you, like I did last week, I know it's called 21 days, but if you missed the first 14, okay, make it a seven-day thing, all right? Just make the most of it. The devil's gonna say, oh, it's not worth it. You missed it. Don't do that, okay? The devil is a liar. You're worth it, all right? So take your seven days, take the book, and, uh, you know, you go 21 days from here if you want, even when we're done, all right? So either way, uh, make the most of it. I hope the Lord's really revealing himself to you. Uh, it's been really helpful to me in so many ways. It's like a spiritual detox to kind of renew myself and start over with the Lord. Uh, and so I hope the Lord is doing that. I know he will, as we've talked about. So please, with all my heart, I beg you, just go all in with this, even if it's seven days. Uh, give God more of your time and attention than you ever have before and watch him transform your life. Quick couple of things. Uh, Thursday, 6.30, normally uh, we do our remerse, uh, immer, no, we do our restore. Right? I tried to put those words together, okay? Uh, remerse, yeah, maybe we could use that for something. All right. Uh, restore, at 6.30, we pray, we sing to the Lord. So just to encourage you to come participate, it's an opportunity for you to give some time to the Lord, uh, to sit in his presence with the word of God, with the people of God, and I know it'll bless your heart. So 6.30, come join us. And then immerse, okay, so that was restore. This is immerse, uh, happens on Saturday, 9 to nine. And so we do this three times a year. The first time is to close our 21 days of prayer and fasting where we give the Lord 12 hours uh, together. And so we will be singing, praying, reading the scriptures at six o'clock. We come together to break the fast to eat for, for an hour. And then from seven to nine, we'll do a worship night. We have a guest leader coming in. It's going to be a good time. So I uh, just encourage you to come be a part of it however you can. You come in the morning, come back at the evening, come for the food and stay for the worship night. Come in the middle, stay whatever, okay? It's just an open environment. So there's not necessarily a start and a finish in order, so don't feel bad. Just come whenever the day works for you. Uh, give the Lord some time and attention with us, and it's going to be a, a real blessing. So please come. And then the last thing is next Sunday, uh, we're ending our 21 days. Also, we wanted to celebrate God's generosity to us as a church in December, just to come back to him and say thank you, Lord, for being so unnecessarily abundantly good to us beyond what we deserve. Uh, so during service, we're going to have a praise party, all right? Uh, we're going to set things up a little differently, so just go ahead and get your mind ready, all right? When you come in, it's not going to look like this. It's going to be epic. Uh, we're going to baptize some people. We're going to sing. We're going to still preach the word. Uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord, okay? So uh, next week, a little bit different than a regular Sunday, uh, throwing a praise party. So get your praise pants on and come ready, all right? It's going to be a really good time, uh, and I want you to be mentally ready when you walk in here and it doesn't look like this, all right? So just go ahead and let you type eight, all you people that need things in order. It's not going to be like what you expect, all right? So just come uh, and enjoy what the Lord's going to do that morning. Uh, it's going to be a great time together. So today, we are talking about the power of the presence of God. Uh, last, the first week, we talked about pursuing his presence. What does it look like to go after the Lord, to spend time with the Lord? Why do we need him? Uh, what is the presence of God? Last week, we talked about the problem without his presence. What does it look like to live a life 
not consciously aware of or pursuing the presence of God, pretty much taking matters into our own hands. Today, we are talking about the power of his presence. The question is that you should have and hopefully are considering is what happens or what should I expect to happen when I encounter the Lord? If I get in his presence, what happens in that place? What happens to me? What can I expect to experience? Uh, Once again, we're going to take a look at the life of Moses. Remember, because he was described as a man who knew the Lord face to face. And we're going to see an encounter that God had with Moses that transformed the rest of his life. It was this encounter with God that altered his future, the direction of his life. And the question I have for many of you already from the beginning is, have you had an encounter with the Lord? Have you had a meeting with him in a way in which he has revealed himself through the scriptures, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Have you met the Lord, or are you going about practicing a religion and trying to be a good Christian? As we said last week, so often we go through the motions without the meaning, and the meaning of being a Christian is to have a relationship with God. A relationship with God must start with a meeting, with an encounter with him, hearing about him, hearing the gospel, believing and trusting in Jesus. And then it continues as a relationship from one encounter to another through his word, being with God's people. And so have you had an encounter with God or are you simply going through the motions of Christianity and practicing a religion? I hope to help you consider that question a little bit more today to help you evaluate maybe where you are. And for some of you watching online or here in this house, The Lord is inviting you in, not on a set of rules to follow or a religion to practice, but on a relationship with him. The goal of this meeting is that you would have an encounter with the living God, not hear a nice sermon or meet some nice people. And my prayer is that you would come to see that today. Finally, that the Lord would reveal himself to you, that you were made for him. And the goal of coming to church is to meet with God. And the goal of being a Christian is to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Here's something you must consider as we start our new year, is that goals will not change your life, but God will. Goals will not change your life, but God will. And so the goal of the 21 days is God. The goal of starting the year the way we start it is God, to say the goals you set will not change your life, not in the way you need it to be changed at the very least, but God will. And what we see from the life of Moses was it was God and an encounter with God and then a relationship with God face-to-face was the very thing that transformed his life. Not books, not not good leadership, not any of these things. It was an encounter with the Lord. And some of you have been so focused on your goals to begin the new year, but you've been missing out on God. And goals will not change your life, but God will. And so we're going to pursue God now and forever, as long as we exist as a church. So as we talk about encountering the presence of God, there are two aspects of this we're going to see. It's that when we get in the presence of God, when we meet the Lord, two things happen. We are exposed and we are encouraged. These are the two primary, seems to be, aspects of meeting with the Lord, hearing from him, being in his presence, having him speak to you by his word is that you are exposed and you are encouraged. And so one time we were running a a conference here, I think it was for church planners, if I remember rightly. I just remember sitting in the fellowship hall at a table with a bunch of church planner guys and their wives, 
uh, half of these people I'd never even met before, right? So it was all like, you know, getting to know one another, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so we brought in Chick-fil-A for lunch because it was a church planning event, you know? Like, what other food would you eat, all right? It's the Lord's food. It's anointed. And so we come together as church planners, and we break bread, Chick-fil-A bread, and it's a good time. And so uh, we're sitting there together, and a lady across from me, she's literally sitting across from me, not next to me, across from me, uh, somebody I had never met before in my life. She opens up a ketchup packet like you would normally, and it just flies out of the ketchup packet, literally shoots across the table and lands on my white hoodie. My white sweatshirt, my white sweatshirt. And she wasn't even sitting next to me. It was like, how, did that happen on purpose? Like, did you put some oomph behind that? Like, how does that just happen? It literally flew, okay? So the Lord must have had, had something going on there. An angel was carrying it or a demon, I'm not sure. One of the two was carrying it to my shirt. And it, it flies across the table. Now, obviously, this gets worse because she doesn't know me, you know? So if somebody on my staff does that to me, they laugh all day and they talk about it for the next two weeks. Nobody cares. Uh, if my family or my kids do that to me, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, nobody feels bad. Uh, but a stranger, you know, somebody that doesn't know, she felt real bad, you know? I'm real embarrassed. And I was trying to be like, it's okay, it's okay, it's Okay, uh, so I got up, obviously, after I flipped the table over, and I got up, and I, I went to the bathroom, I tried to clean it off. It was a white sweater with a red stain, and so that didn't help very much. Now, imagine how foolish it would be for me to walk around the rest of my day pretending like I didn't have a stain on my shirt. Also, imagine how foolish it would be for me to hope I would receive some encouragement that I had a nice shirt without ever fixing the problem with my shirt. When somebody looks at my shirt, they're not going to see that it's a hoodie or a cool hoodie that I like. They're going to see a red stain. And they're not going to look at me and think, oh, that's a nice shirt. They're going to look at me and think, that's, you got a red stain on your shirt, bro. You need to go clean that off like when you're walking around. You need to fix that stain. Before I can be encouraged that it's a nice sweater, I have to actually deal with the fact that there's a stain on my sweater. And so it is now with you and me and our relationship to God. The first thing that happens is that we are exposed and the red stain of our sin becomes dramatically evident when we encounter his presence. And the foolish thing we attempt to do often is try to receive the encouragement from God without dealing with the sin of our life. We try to cultivate a relationship with God apart from confession and repentance. We try to walk around and act like there's nothing wrong with the red stain on our shirt, and we pretend like it's not there. And we spend our life trying to work around it, really, as opposed to dealing with it. And we hope that some form of religion or Christianity or positive vibes will help me feel better about myself. All the while, the red stain is still on your shirt. And what we're going to see this morning is that the first thing that God does in his presence is expose you. And then the second thing he's going to do is encourage you. But you cannot receive the encouragement if you don't deal with the exposure. And this is what a relationship with God looks like. And I think this is the reason so many of us are missing it in our growth with the Lord as we're trying to go around the process that God has set up for how we grow and how we become like Jesus. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Wow, wow. That was awful, you know. I love you guys. But we're about to hear from the Lord, you know. Everybody good with that? Let's open your Bible to Exodus chapter 3. Let's go. All right, all right. I need it. You know what? We're going to start saving the drummer, okay, until that section's over. <laughs> then you can go sit down, all right? Mark, remember that. Remember that. <laughs> all right. So Exodus chapter 3, let's look at verse 1. We're going to break it into two sections. Verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now remember, from the past few weeks, Moses grew up, uh, he was born an Israelite, grew up in the house of Pharaoh, 
killed a man, ran away. Now he's living in the wilderness in a place called Midian. He meets this, these girls. He marries Jethro's daughter. And so this is his situation. He has become a shepherd, which ironically, Egyptians hated. And so he grew up as an Egyptian hating shepherds. Uh, and now he's become one himself. So verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why, the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So we're going to stop right here before we move on. This is our first part, is that when we encounter the presence of God, the first thing that happens is we are exposed. I want you to realize, first and foremost, something about this bush. This is a fascinating thought, obviously, that the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And as I began to meditate on this truth, something I began to consider is that the bush didn't burn up, but it burned on because it was fueled by the presence of God. And the reason why so many of us are burning up, burning out, but not burning on is because our fuel is not God's presence. The reason why we can be so easily consumed is because the fuel of our life is not in the presence of God. The reason why we're so easily burned out and weary is because the fuel of our life is not the presence of God. The bush burned on and it did not burn up because it was fueled by the presence of God. And the fuel of life itself is the presence of God himself. And I want you to consider that moving into this new year. There's a reason why Isaiah 40 says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. That's a promise. There's nothing else to do with it but receive it. And say, well, me waiting on the Lord and encountering the presence of God and growing in my relationship with him is to have my strength renewed, period. And for me to walk in that is the very promise that God gives me. So let's not burn out or burn up this year. Let's burn on because our fuel is the presence of God and the Lord himself. So Moses encounters the presence of God here in the bush. This is important for us to notice. What's the very first attribute of God that Moses has to deal with? He encounters the Lord. The living God is revealing himself to Moses, and we must take note. What's the very first thing that Moses has to deal with? What's the very first attribute that Moses has to reckon with? It's God's holiness. The very first thing that Moses has to deal with when he meets with the Lord is God's holiness. He is told to take off his sandals. Why? Because this is holy ground. What makes it holy ground is that a holy God has taken up residence there in that moment. And so Moses must deal with his holiness. God's holiness is simply his perfection in everything that he is. He is perfectly pure, sinless, never makes a mistake. Everything he does is right. God is holy and he is perfect. In the moment that imperfection encounters perfection, all the imperfections are revealed. Now this is very practical for us because we know what this feels like when we're around someone in the world who feels so perfect, you know? Right, we talked about relating to God isn't as ambiguous as you think, and oftentimes your human relations can give you some idea of what it's like to relate to God because he has personhood and characteristics, and so obviously it's times a million, but it gives you some inclination, and you guys know how it feels like. Maybe you're in a family, and you're like, that child was always the perfect child, you know? 
he was the favorite. He was every time, nothing they could do would be perfect, you know, like, and no matter what they did, it was always perfect. Or maybe some of you were good at a sport for a while, and then all of a sudden you found out there was a whole world of people much better than you, you know, and you were good in high school, you go to college, and you're like, I'm not so good anymore. Your, your imperfections were revealed by someone much better than you. You're good at your job, but not as good as this other person, and that's revealed as soon as you meet that person. Being around certain people might bother you simply because of who they are and how you think their life is so perfect or the perfect life you think they're living because of Instagram. Either way, when you're around them, it makes you feel some type of way. Why does that bother you, you know? Why does it bother you to be around someone who's better than you at something? Why does it bother you to be around someone who seems like they have their act together much more than you? What is, what is going on in your soul? Why does it bother you that they're so good? What is that doing? Well, you know what's bothering you and me is that in the moment we're around them, our insecurities are increased. My imperfections get revealed. I thought I was good at this, and then I found out there was a lot of people much better than me. I thought I was successful, and then I met people way more successful than me. I thought, and on and on it goes. And the reason it bothers us is because in that very moment, when we're around someone like that, we get exposed. We get exposed. Those of you who watch football, it's like a quarterback. You see this all the time in college. They were really good in high school, not because they could throw the ball well, but because they could run real fast. And most people at their high school couldn't run as fast as them. So they just run around the whole, they get the ball, and instead of throwing it, they just run everywhere they go. They get into college, they're like, yeah, I'm fast and fast. And then they realize you're not as fast as the guys on defense anymore, you know? Uh, you see them in the game. They'll pick it up, they'll start running, and then they think they can make it past, and then no, no, no. And you see this look on their face like, oh, this is different. This is different. This is different. I can't do this anymore. And they're not so good anymore. This is how it happens. And this is what happens in our life is the moment we're around people like that. Now multiply that times a million and say, what does the holiness and perfection of God do when it's in our presence is it exposes everything about us. And therefore, we have a great trouble dealing with this. Look what Moses does. As soon as he encounters the Lord and God's holiness reveals Moses' sinfulness and imperfections, he hides his face and is afraid. What's the first sensation that overcomes Moses in the presence of God is shame, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. As soon as Adam and Eve stumble and fall, the first feeling they have and the first encounter with God becomes not one of comfort and love, but shame. It's the presence of God that reveals the fact that they are sinners now. And this is true for us. In this moment and in the moment we are with the word of God and with the people of God and we're encountering the Lord of the universe through the means that he has appointed, we are now exposed before him. And this is something we must handle and deal with. But here's how you gotta see this though, and this is so important, is that we have to be exposed by God's holiness before we can be encouraged by God's love. This is the pathway of growth and maturing in the Christian life. And this is the way you experience the love of God. You cannot be encouraged by God without opening yourself to being exposed before him. And here's what we do. We try to go around the exposure, around the vulnerability, around the sin, around the mistake, around the lifestyle. And we try to enjoy and walk in some positive form of Christianity where all we ask for and receive are blessings and favor from God. 
I want to be encouraged by God's love. I want to receive the favor of God. I want to walk in his anointing and blessing, which are all wonderful things to do. But the pathway to encouragement is exposure. And you cannot receive the encouragement of God's love if you first do not allow yourself to be exposed by God's holiness. And here's what I really want you to understand, because I've been meditating on this a lot, is that not only is this human nature to hate being exposed, but living in 2022 and having the ability to curate an image of yourself disciples you into a, being a person who is, who, someone, who is someone who pretends to be something as opposed to someone who is something, and who's someone who always curates an image of themselves as they'd like to be, as opposed to ever having to deal with who you are. And the more time you spend curating an image of what you would like, the less time you spend dealing with the reality of who you are. You are discipled into being a person who cannot stand being exposed because your whole life is cultivated to create this idea of yourself, this perspective of yourself. You even begin to believe the things you're saying and presenting about yourself. And all of a sudden you're living in this deception and you become less self-aware and you cannot handle and I cannot handle being exposed because we spend our whole life trying to not be exposed. You have to understand yourself. You have to understand what the world is discipling in you into. Who are you becoming when you don't even notice? And you and I, because of the world we are living in, all the more so are becoming a people who cannot simply handle being exposed and who do everything we can to make sure we don't look like to the world what we really are. And you just have more access to doing that than anybody ever has in the history of the world. And so that's the first thing. You hate being exposed, and I hate being exposed because that's human nature. We also hate it because we're being in, involved in a culture that's discipling you into putting your best foot forward and giving you a lot of opportunities to pretend to be something that you're not. Now imagine, I just want to drive this home all the more. Imagine if before this service I had someone go to all of your houses um, especially unless, unless some of you had a cleaner come yesterday. I had someone go to all your houses and just take pictures of all of your rooms. And then I just started to point people out. And I said, all right, all right, guys, yesterday we visited the Ericsons. Everybody take a look at their bedroom. Look at the trash can, you know? Take a look at whatever. And for all of you, like, look at the room they throw all the stuff in that nobody wants to see, you know? You're just like, my house isn't clean. My house has one room that's a disaster because I threw everything inside of it so all of you would think my house was clean, you know? Everybody has that room. I'll take a picture of that room. Now imagine if I just started listing it off and you knew your name was coming. And I said, well, we went to so-and-so's house. Look at their bathroom. Look at their bedroom. Look at how they, they don't even make their bed. Bombs, you know? They're going all this. Look at this. Imagine how you would feel when you knew that was coming. And how exposed you would feel and how much that would drive you nuts and how much that would bother you. You wouldn't even be able to handle those emotions. Well, these are the kinds of emotions and the kinds of realities that we simply must face if we are to build and cultivate a relationship with God. You cannot avoid being exposed before the Lord. And as a matter of fact, God doesn't need me to take pictures of the inside of your heart. God already sees. God already knows how foolish it is for us to pretend like we can hide anything from God or to act like it's not there when he already knows that it is. This is very important because we're being discipled into being the opposite of this by the world. And so I want you to understand more. Think about this as well. You are constantly being taught by the world around you that self-esteem is the most important thing about you. 
Having a high self-esteem is very important. Therefore, you ought to avoid and get rid of any negative thoughts about yourself. Simply be true to yourself and be authentic to how you feel. You don't have to feel bad about anything. Now, the hypocrisy of that is every 10 years or so, they choose things for you to feel bad about, you know? Oh, here's the thing about you that's unacceptable. And then 20 years, oh, that's cool now. This is unacceptable. Don't be that. And then on and on and on it goes. And so you got to be aware of that. But the whole world saying self-esteem is the most important thing about you. You need to feel good about yourself. You know what God's not concerned about? Self-esteem. You know what God's concerned about? God-esteem. That's what God's concerned about. God-esteem. And what you're going to learn as you actually orient yourself towards God and esteem him is that you become who you were supposed to become. You find confidence in what he thinks about you, not what you think about yourself. You spend all this time trying to build your self-esteem by avoiding negative thoughts about you, and that is the very thing that is preventing you from enjoying a relationship with God because you have to deal with the stain on your shirt. And the world is telling you only think positive thoughts about yourself and the things you don't like about yourself, express them, and the world will receive them. And God says it's the exact opposite of that. Now, no matter how you present yourself to the world, this you know. And this was, is blatantly obvious to anyone who would believe in God or even if you think God exists at any level, is that you simply can't hide anything from God. And you probably don't think you can, but because you're being discipled into being a person who hides and curates an image, it's greatly difficult to all of a sudden transition into being a person who doesn't do that. There's not a spiritual side of you and a regular side of you. You don't bring your spiritual self to your Bible study. You bring your regular self. You don't bring your spiritual self to church. You bring your regular self, even if you want to present your spiritual self. And so if you are becoming this person by practice, then this person is becoming the person who, who does your time with God or who comes to church. And now you have difficulty being exposed before God. Now here's the good news, is that God will accept you as you are, but hear me, only if you realize that what you are is not okay. You see what I'm saying? This is both things put together. God will accept you as you are. Yes and amen. But only if you recognize that what you are is not okay. God will accept you as a sinner, but only if you say, I'm a sinner. God will accept you at your regrets, but only if you say, I regret doing those things. God will accept you as you are, but not unless you recognize that what you are is not okay, that you and I and the entire human race have sinned before a holy God. He's perfect and we are not perfect and sin is not okay. Nothing about our lifestyle has been okay and we're trying to, it's okay, it's not okay. God's not gonna come to you and you say, well, it's not so bad. You're not going to walk in God's love like that. You say, well, you try to argue, defend yourself. I'm okay over here. No, 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 no. That's not going to work. You try to present yourself. God will accept you as you are. Yes, he will, and that is such good news, but only if you recognize that what you are is not okay. God will clean the red stain off your shirt, but only if you say, I have a red stain on my shirt, and I don't like it, and I would like it to go away. This is the pathway to our relationship with God. Understand this, we experience the love of God revealed on the cross. Listen, when we recognize the reason for the cross. You, this is so simple, you might say this is basic Christianity, and yes it is, and we need to spend the rest of our lives understanding the most basic things about Christianity. But I will experience the love of God 
as ultimately revealed on the cross when I recognize the need for the cross, which is my sin. You see what I'm saying? And so now, in an attempt to feel loved, you avoid the reality of your sin because it makes you feel bad about yourself. And God is saying, no, no, no. Won't you recognize and accept the reality of your sin? And in the very place of your acceptance of your sin, I died for that on the cross, and my love is for that very thing. But the more you try to avoid your sin, the more you avoid the love of God. You see what I'm saying? You're running away from the realities about yourself. It's running not towards love, but away from love. The pathway to being encouraged by God is dealing with being exposed before him. You can only enjoy the love of God. First, uh, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. Now, is it good news to your heart? You can only experience the love of God as revealed on the cross when we recognize the reason for the cross, which is my sin. And I cannot avoid accepting or dealing with or recognizing my sin and also enjoy experiencing the love of God because the love of God is for my sin. You see what I'm saying? It's for my sin. That's why it comes to forgive my sin to forgive my regrets, to forgive the things about me that are not okay and the mistakes that I have made. The love of God is for that thing, and so to avoid recognizing my sin is to actively avoid enjoying the love of God. You see, God wants, to, wants you to be loved by him. He wants you to experience the love that he has for you, but you're not gonna do that by pretending to be something you're not or not being real with God about what you are. You can't say, look at my nice shirt without asking someone to clean the red stain off your shirt. If we can't deal with being exposed, we won't delight in being encouraged. This is a very simple but incredibly profound thing for you to understand moving forward in 2022 for you to grow in your relationship with God. Maybe you are experiencing no delight in your relationship with God and it's because you are not being vulnerable with him you're trying to pursue something with him without doing what he's asked you to do. You are not actively turning aside from your sin. You are not willing to deal with it and admit that it's not okay. You're trying to stay positive about it when the Lord wants you to recognize, accept, and receive the love that he has for you in that place. But if you cannot deal with being exposed, which once again, because of the way the world disciples you is very hard, then you will not delight in being encouraged. So here's for the good news, all right? And that, that is good news because being exposed is a good thing. But here's the good news. Look at verse seven. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, a reasonable question, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of, Israel, of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." 
And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. We'll stop there. So how does God encourage? First, he exposes. The first thing Moses has to deal with is the holiness of God. The holiness of God exposes the sinfulness of man. That's the starting point for a relationship with God, and there is no other starting point. Now, on the other side, now that we're moving through exposure into encouragement, how does God encourage Moses? Well, the first thing and the main thing that God encourages Moses with is the promise of his presence, As a matter of fact, the greatest encouragement God can give anyone is the promise of his presence. These are very precious words. I will be with you. Now listen to me. So many of us are missing out on being encouraged by God's promises because we're hanging on to other things and neglecting the very promise found in those five words. Because we would prefer the promise, I will get you out of this situation. I will heal the thing that ails your body. I will restore the relationship that is severed. I will grant you financial success. I will give you security in the world. And we're looking and we're looking and then it's not happening and we wonder, what do I do with the promises of God and how can I be encouraged? And the reason why we're so disappointed and frustrated and discontent is that we have put so much emphasis on promises that God did not make and very little emphasis on the one he did. I will be with you. And the question becomes in those moments and in the darkest days of our lives, is the presence of God enough for me? If he doesn't do what I'm asking him to do, but he grants me these five words, is that enough for me? Can I walk out of here encouraged, not because I know how my future is going to work out in the next two weeks, or I know how this situation is going to resolve itself, but I do have these five words, I will be with you. This is the greatest encouragement God can give you, and it's the only thing you know that's guaranteed, the promise of his presence. So Moses gets God's plan. The second thing God gives him is a purpose. He gives him encouragement of his presence, and he gives him a purpose. He gives him a great cause to live for, a great thing to go do and accomplish. And Moses responds to that, basically, saying, well, who am I? God says, go deliver the people of Israel. And Moses says, well, who am I? Now Moses' insecurities are revealed again. First, he's insecure and afraid because of the presence of God and his holiness. And now God gives him an assignment, and the assignment's too big for him. He, he knows he can't do it, and so he says, who am I? And what is God's answer to Moses saying, who am I? Moses says, who am I? And God says, it doesn't matter. I am who I am. And so you're, the answer to your question about your identity And who you are and how you belong in this world is not what you thought. Here's the truth of your life, is that I am who I am because he is who he is. You see what I'm saying? And this is so freeing. He doesn't say, Moses, you are who you are because of this and that. Moses says, who am I? And God says, I am who I am. How is that an answer to my question, you know? 
What kind of mind psychology games are we playing here? I didn't ask who you were, I asked who I am. And God basically says, you'll know who you are when you know who I am. You're trying to find yourself in so many other ways and they haven't been working for you. The world's telling you to express yourself and then you'll find yourself. The world tells you to look inside and live your truth, but it's just a lie. And as you know, and as the world knows, it just continues to search and I begin to change things about myself or become someone else to different people and I'm always expressing different versions of myself trying to find myself, but I cannot find myself by looking inside of myself. I must find myself by looking outside of myself, namely to the one who made me. Moses says, who am I? And God doesn't say, you're Moses the future prophet of the people of Israel. You're Moses, you were born an Israelite, but you were raised in Pharaoh's house. You are the only one who knows both worlds. You're Moses. He doesn't say, you're Moses. You spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness with me here, and I have been training and equipping you. Now you know things you didn't know. You're Moses. You've been shepherding a flock, and so I've taught you how to shepherd God's people. You're prepared for this. You're Moses. He doesn't do that. And that's what so many of us look for. He doesn't say, you're Moses. He says, I'm God. And the ability to fulfill the assignment does not come from you. It comes from God. And your identity does not come from you. It comes from God. And you will never be free until you receive this truth. The Lord's calling so many of you out of curating your image trying to express yourself, to find yourself, being discipled by the world, to look inside of yourself, to live your truth, only to find so much emptiness and slavery. And the Lord's bringing you in here this morning to say, you will not find yourself by looking inside of yourself. The answer to who am I is I am who I am. And you cannot know yourself unless you know God. And God is calling you into a relationship with him today through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to me, I am who I am not because of what has been done to me. I am who I am not because of what I am good at or bad at. I am who I am not because of what others have said about me or not said about me. I am who I am not because of what I can or cannot do. I am who I am not because of what I have or do not have, not because of my successes or failures, not because of my mistakes or opportunities, not because of my talents or my weaknesses, not because of my past or my future. I am who I am because of who he is, and I will never be free until I live in light of that. And you will leave from here looking for someone else to say something else about you. You will leave from here remembering the thing that happened to you in the past and letting that define your life. You will leave from here trying to curate the image of yourself so people tell you things about you that you like, as opposed to finding freedom in this place. Through the presence of God and through the gift of who he is, when he says, I am who I am, this means I am reality itself. I am the self-sufficient one. I don't need anything from you to survive. This means that I am the creator of the world, Jesus says. This means that I am the only true God. I am who I am. I am life. I am the being. As Acts 17 says, you live and you move. In him you have your being. God is reality itself. And to not walk with him and to deny a face-to-face relationship with him is to deny living in reality. It's to deny the real substance. It's to accept the shadow and say, I love the shadow. When God wants to give you the substance of who he is, 
It is to walk in a relationship with him. When God says, I am who I am, he is not just revealing who he is, but also who you are. And the question, once again, is will you accept what God says about you, or will you continue to roll with what you think about yourself? Will you accept what God says about you, that you are a sinner, and it doesn't feel good to hear that? And as a matter of fact, all of our sins have earned us eternal punishment in hell, nothing less. Will you accept what God says about you, that you need a savior? Will you accept what God says about you, that he does love you? Will you accept what God says about you, that you find yourself in him? Or will you continue to roll with what you think about yourself and what others say about you? Here's something I want us to close on to consider. I love this truth, is that God wants a relationship with Moses, and he still wants to use his life for a great purpose, even after his biggest mistakes. God did not get rid of Moses. As a matter of fact, instead of getting rid of Moses, he began redeeming his regrets. Instead of tossing him to the side because of his foolishness, he was merciful and brought him in and included him in his plan. And this is what God wants to do with so many of you this morning. He is saying, I'm not done with you, and I know the mistakes that you have made, and I still have a great purpose for your life. And if you would simply admit and accept that what you are is not okay, then I will come to you and I will save you and forgive your sins and call you back from the wilderness into life with me. This is God's offer this morning. Our perspective would be, I have a red stain on my shirt, and so let me go find something to scrub it off. And this is what we do, right? I find the things I don't like about myself or the things, the sinful habits that I know, and I read a book, and I do this, and I do that, and I get the scrub, and I try to get everything off of myself. And when I recognize my sin, and I recognize my mistakes, but then I go attempt to be the solution. I have just burdened myself with something I cannot do. And so many of you are walking this. You recognize that you have sin, you have a red stain, but you go pick up a scrub and you're trying to make it better, trying to be something better. And the stain never goes away. And the reason is because the only person that can take away the stain of your sin is Jesus. You don't have what it takes. You cannot clean your shirt. You cannot clean your soul. But this is God's offer for you this morning. This is the freedom that's found in the gospel. He says, recognize that you have sin. Okay. And then put the scrub down and throw it away because it's not your job to clean you. It's mine, he says. You cannot forgive yourself, but I'll forgive you. You cannot remove that red stain, but I can remove it. You cannot cleanse your heart and your life, but I can this is God's offer to so many of you this morning. You're scrubbing a religious practice and you're scrubbing trying to be a good person and you're scrubbing trying to fight that habit and you're scrubbing and the burden gets on you and your elbow gets all out of whack and your whole life begins to fall apart because you're scrubbing so hard and so much and the good news of the gospel is that yes, you have sin, but yes, Jesus loves you. Put down the scrub and pick up the cross. This is what Jesus is offering you this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.21, there's Bible for this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? That means you say, yes, I have a red stain on my shirt. And God says, good, let me take care of it. And he picks the red stain off of your shirt and he puts it on Jesus and Jesus dies on the cross to deal with it. You say, yes, I have I have all these different issues in my life and these sinful habits. 
is to have a way of life that's rebellious to God, and God says, good, let me deal with it, and he takes it off of you, and he puts it on to Jesus, and Jesus dies for it. So Psalm 103 can say, your sins are as far as the east is from the west, and as high as the heaven is so great the said for the Father's love for you. The question is not whether you have a red stain or not. The question is whether you'll do anything about it. And the question is really not whether you'll do anything about it, but whether you'll let the Lord take care of it for you. The good news of the gospel is that you are both fully known and fully loved. Fully known and fully loved. Let me close with this final little thought. You guys know, during the pandemic, I remember, I don't know if you remember, when it was really, you know, in the, like March 2020, when things started to get real bad, and restaurants began closing, I remember all of a sudden at like normal places, they began to rent and get these huge we are open signs. You remember that? So it'd be like, normally you just think it's always open, you know? Walmart, all these places, it's always open. Chick-fil-A open, closed on Sundays. You know, all these different things. I know when to go places, but then when the pandemic you hit, you're like, I don't know if this place is open. Google hadn't caught up yet. And so now you don't know. Do they shut down? Do they shut down? Are they open? Are they open? How are they doing this? And people would begin to buy these big signs. We are open, you know, so that you would know you could come in there and eat or you could at least get it for drive through And here's what I want you to hear this morning is that God, through the cross of Jesus Christ, has put a big I am open sign. And he is inviting all of you in the entire world to come participate in what he offers you through Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. The question is not whether you have a red stain on your shirt or whether something's going wrong in your heart or in the world around you. The question is, will you receive the open sign on heaven and accept his invitation to have your sins forgiven, that you can be exposed and then encouraged because in God you are both fully known and fully loved. So to those of you who are new or haven't been walking with the Lord or don't have a relationship with Christ, would you accept his invitation this morning? The sign says we are open. The way he runs the business is through the cross. And the opportunity is available to you to believe and trust in him. And to those of you who have done that or who are walking with the Lord or attempting to, that we are so open, open to sign is, is there every second of every day. And the presence of God is available to you through the word of God and the people of God in prayer. The question is whether you will take advantage of it, go into the restaurant and eat at the Lord's table and enjoy a face-to-face relationship with him. Let's pray and let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your love, Lord, that even though we are exposed, we are also encouraged, Lord. Thank you that you see our sin, but you offer us salvation, Lord. I pray, I pray that nobody would try to go around the pathway that you have set, Lord, but that we would recognize and deal with our sins so that you can grant us love and forgiveness. I pray for so many hearts, maybe in this room or watching it, God, that they would repent and put their faith in you for the very first time today. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would run into that big we are open sign that you've given us. We have access to a relationship with you every day. We thank you for your love and your patience and your kindness towards us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the cross and the resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.